Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. How are you doing today? I am fine, and I think our camera just went out. I have to get it back. I'm going to ask James to send me a link so we can connect again. Um, Can you hear me, James? But you can't see me, right? All right, so will you be able to send another link? Okay, great. All right, everybody, hold on. We're audio right now, but... We'll connect to the video. It's it's. I just pressed the wrong button. So sorry. Um, I pressed a couple of wrong buttons. Oh dear, what on earth? Okay, hold on now. Um, what I'd like to do is continue in the um, um, the history and the mystery of Passion Tide and Holy Week by Dom Garanger. We are. Um, in Wednesday of Passion Week, and uh, Dom Garanger's writings are so absolutely magnificent. And he wrote 500 years ago. He lived in the 1800s. And um, in the mystery of Passion Tide, Passion Tide uh, encompasses two weeks: Passion Week and Holy Week. And last this past Sunday was Passion Sunday, that began Passion Tide. This coming Sunday will be Palm Sunday that begins Holy Week, our Lord's walk to the cross during the whole, whole of that week. Um, uh, it would be just, you know, I, James just sent me the link. Let me just take a second and, and try to connect it. Um, and we'll be back on video, God willing. Hold on just a moment. We'll count to ten. Or we'll sing a song. We won't sing a song. I won't do that to you. Okay, we're back, James, huh? Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, okay, now, um, I'm going to read from Dom Garanger. We won't finish it. I still want to be sure that we're free during the second half hour for your calls, your emails, anything whatsoever on your heart. I'll give you the toll-free number in advance if you wish to call in early and be first online. Sometimes we get a bunch of calls, sometimes none. But the, the matter of the heart, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So if you wish to call in toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, uh, Dom Garanger on the mystery of Passion Tide and Holy Week says that the Holy Liturgy is rich in mystery during these days of the churches celebrating the anniversaries of so many wonderful events. But as the principal part of these mysteries is embodied in the rites and ceremonies of the respective days, we shall give our explanations according as the occasion presents itself. Our object in the present chapter is to say a few words respecting the general character of the mysteries of these two weeks. And I will say that I entered the church under the Novus Ordo liturgy, and I knew nothing of Passion Week or Passion Tide and most of the holy mysteries and 
and practices of our faith. It's, uh, I have a treasure restored to me, a treasure. The pearl of great price, which I knew I had found in coming into the Catholic Church, but much of that pearl was hidden. And now uh, in the traditional mass and sacraments and going back to the holy days, the celebrations that the church has had for um, uh, a thousand to two thousand years, it's just so beautiful, and the discovery is so wonderful. Dom Garanger says, We have nothing to add to the explanation already given in our Lent on the mystery of 40. The holy season of expiation continues its course until the fast of sinful man has imitated in its duration that observed by the man-god in the desert. And you know that was 40 days of his wilderness of temptation, making reparation for Israel's sin when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. The army of Christ's faithful children is still fighting against the invisible enemies of man's salvation. They are still vested in their spiritual armor, and aided by the angels of light, they are struggling hand to hand with the spirits of darkness, by compunction of heart, and by mortification of the flesh. As we have already observed, there are three objects which principally engage the thoughts of the church during Lent. The passion of our Redeemer, which we have felt to be coming nearer to us each week. The preparation of the catechumens for baptism, which is to be administered to them on Easter Eve. The reconciliation of the public penitents, who are to be readmitted into the church on the Thursday, the day of the Last Supper. Each of these three object engages more and more the attention of the church, the nearer she approaches the time of their celebration. The miracle performed by our Savior almost at the very gates of Jerusalem by which he restored Lazarus to life has roused the fury of his enemies to the highest pitch of frenzy. The people's enthusiasm has been excited by seeing him who had been four days in the grave walking in the streets of their city. They asked each other if the Messiah, when he comes, can work greater wonders than these done by Jesus and whether they ought not at once to receive this Jesus as the Messiah and sing their Hosanna to him, for he is the son of David. They cannot contain their feelings. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and they welcome him as their king. The high priests and princes of the people are alarmed at this demonstration of feeling. They have no time to lose. They are resolved to destroy Jesus. We are going to assist at their impious conspiracy. The blood of the just man is to be sold, and the price put on it is 30 silver pieces. The divine victim, betrayed by one of his disciples, is to be judged, condemned, and crucified. Every circumstance of this awful tragedy is to be put before us by the liturgy, not merely in words, but with all the expressiveness of a sublime ceremonial. The catechumens have but a few more days to wait for the font that is to give them life. Each day, 
their instruction becomes fuller. The figures of the old law are being explained to them, and very little now remains for them to learn with regard to the mysteries of salvation. The symbol of faith is soon to be delivered to them, initiated into the glories and the humiliations of the Redeemer. They will await with faithful with the faithful, the moment of his glorious resurrection, and we shall accompany them with our prayers and hymns, all that at that solemn hour, when leaving the defilements of sin in the life-giving waters of the font, they shall come forth pure and radiant with innocence, be enriched with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and be fed with the divine flesh of the Lamb that liveth forever." Wouldn't you love to hear our priests and bishops speak in such language today, dear ones? The reconciliation of the penance, too, is close at hand. Clothed in sackcloth and ashes, they are continuing their work of expiation. The Church has still several passages from the sacred scriptures to read to them, which, like those we have already heard during the last few weeks, will breathe consolation and refreshment to their souls. The near approach of the day when the Lamb is to be slain increases their hope, for they know that the blood of this Lamb is of infinite worth and can take away the sins of the whole world. Before the day of Jesus' resurrection, they will have recovered their lost innocence. Their pardon will come in time to enable them. Like the penitent, penitent prodigal, to join in the great banquet of that Thursday when Jesus will say to his guests, with desire, I have desire to eat this pasch with you before I suffer. Such are the sublime subjects which are about to be brought before us. But at the same time, we shall see our Holy Mother, the Church, mourning like a disconsolate widow and sad beyond, beyond all human grief, Hitherto she has been weeping over the sins of her children. Now she bewails the death of her divine spouse. The joyous Alleluia has long since been hushed in her canticles. And it has, dear ones, at least in the Latin Mass, I don't know about the Novus Ordo, if the Alleluias are still hushed, because they don't celebrate Passion Week for the most part, only Holy Week. She is now going, the church, to suppress another expression, which seems too glad for a time like the present, partially at first, unless it be the feast of a saint, as frequently happens during the first of these two weeks. The same exception is to be made in what follows. But entirely during the last three days, she, the church, is about to deny herself the use of that formula, which is so dear to her, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. There is an accent of jubilation in these words, which would ill suit her grief and the mournfulness of the rest of her chance. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll be right after the break. Um, be back to continue this and to take your emails and your calls following the second break. We'll have a full half hour to ourselves. Toll free, you're welcome to call in 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Are you ready to take on the world of flesh and the devil with just the facts? This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Navam, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, and I'm here, and I'm thrilled to be with you. We are reading from uh, Dom Garanger's liturgical year on Passion Tide, which began this past Sunday. And um, he is discussing the practice uh, of, of Passion Tide, uh, the mysteries of, of Passion Tide during Lent. Um, and he continues, the, the church's lessons for the night office are taking from Jeremiah, the prophet of lamentation, above all others. The color of her vestments, the church's vestments, is the one she had on when she assembled us at the commencement of Lent to sprinkle us with ashes. But when the dreaded day of Good Friday comes, purple would not sufficiently express the depth of her Greek grief she will clothe herself in black as men do when mourning the death of a fellow mortal for jesus her spouse is to be put to death on that day the sins of mankind and the rigors of the divine justice are then to weigh him down and in all the realities of a last agony he is to yield up his soul to his father the presentiment of that awful hour leads the afflicted leads the afflicted mother to veil the image of her Jesus. The cross is hidden from the eyes of the faithful. The statues too 
the statues of the saints are covered, for it is but just that, if the glory of the master be eclipsed, the servant should not appear. The interpreters of the liturgy tell us that this ceremony of veiling the crucifix during Passion Tide expresses the humiliation to which our Savior subjected himself of hiding himself when the Jews threatened to stone him as is related in the Gospel of Passion Sunday. And we've done that in our Priory, beloved. We have covered the Holy Crucifix and all the uh, holy statues and all blessed objects, all holy objects. We have covered them all with purple cloth. The church begins this solemn rite with the Vespers of the Saturday before Passion Sunday. Thus it is that in those years when the Feast of Our Lady's Annunciation falls in Passion Week, the statue of Mary, the Mother of God, remains veiled even on that very day when the archangel greets her as being full of grace and blessed among women. This day, this year, the Feast of the Annunciation was on Saturday the 25th and Passion Sunday began on the 26th. So Our Lady was unveiled and veiled the next day. We have such a a rich, rich faith, beloved. Such a rich faith. It's so magnificent. We'll never plumb the depths of it if we live to be, um, I don't know, um, a billion years old. We'll never plumb the the depths of what God has given us. The four weeks of um, Passion Tide and Holy Week seems to have been but a preparation for the intense grief of well, the past four weeks of Septuagesima prior to Passion Week and Holy Week, prior to Passion Tide, seems to have been but a preparation for the intense grief of the church during these two weeks. She, the church, knows that men are in search of her Jesus and that they are bent on his death. Before 12 days are over, she will see them lay their sacrilegious hands upon him. She will have to follow him up the hill of Calvary. She will have to receive his last breath. She must witness the stone placed against the sepulcher where his lifeless body is laid. We cannot, therefore, be surprised at her inviting all her children to contemplate during these weeks him who is the object of all her love and of all her sadness. But our mother asks something more of us than compassion and tears. She would have us profit by the lessons we are taught and to be taught by the passion and death of our Redeemer. He himself, when going up to Calvary, said to the holy women who had the courage to show their compassion, even before his very executioners, weep not over me, our Lord said, but weep for yourselves and for your children. It was not that he refused the tribute of their tears, for he was pleased with this proof of their affection, but it was his love for them that made him speak thus. He desired above all to see them appreciate the importance of what they were witnessing and learn from it how inexorable is God's justice against sin. During the four weeks that have proceeded, the church has been leading the sinner 
to his conversion. So far, however, his conversion has been but begun. Now she would perfect it. It is no longer our Jesus fasting and praying in the desert that she offers to our consideration. It is this same Jesus as the great victim immolated for the world's salvation. The fatal hour is at hand. The power of darkness, now we're in Holy Week now, the power of darkness in this reading is preparing to make use of the time that is still left. The greatest of crimes is about to be perpetrated. A few days hence, the Son of God is to be in the hands of sinners and they will put him to death. The church no longer needs to urge her children to repentance. They know too well now what sin must be when it could require such expiation as this. She is all absorbed in the thought of the terrible event which is to close the life of the God-man on earth. And by expressing her thoughts through the Holy Liturgy, she teaches us what our own sentiments should be. The pervading character of the prayers and rites of these two weeks, that's Passion Week and Holy Week, Passion Week that we're in the middle of now, and Holy Week, which begins this, uh, this coming Sunday, on Palm Sunday. The pervading character of the prayers and rites of these two weeks is a profound grief at seeing the just one persecuted by his enemies, even to death, and an energetic indignation against the deicides. The formulas expressive of these two feelings are for the most part taken from David and the prophets. Here it is our Savior himself, disclosing to us the anguish of his soul. There it is the church pronouncing the most terrible anathemas upon the executioners of Jesus. The chastisement that is to befall the Jewish nation is prophesied in all its frightful details. And on the last three days, we shall hear the prophet Jeremiah uttering his lamentations over the faithless city. The church does not aim at exciting idle sentiment. What she principally seeks is to oppress the hearts of her children with a salutary fear. If Jerusalem's crime strike them with horror, and if they feel that they have partaken in her sin, their tears will flow in abundance. Beloved, we need to know that. We need to feel that. We need to know that it was our sins that nailed our Savior to the cross. Dom Geringer says, Let us, therefore, do our utmost to receive these strong impressions, too little known, alas, by the superficial piety of these times. Let us reflect upon the love and affection of the Son of God, who has treated his creatures with such unlimited confidence, lived their own life, spent his three and thirty years amidst them, not only humbly and peaceably, but in going about doing good. And now this life of kindness, condescension, and humility is to be cut short by the disgraceful death which none but slaves endured, the death of the cross. 
let us consider on the one side this sinful people who having no crimes to lay to Jesus' charge accuse him of his benefits and carry their detestable ingratitude to such a pitch as to shed the blood of this innocent and divine lamb. And then let us turn to this Jesus, the just by excellence, and see him become a prey to every bitterest suffering. His soul sorrowful even unto death, weighed down by the malediction of our sins, drinking even to the very dregs the chalice he so humbly asks his father to take from him. And lastly, let us listen to his dying words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This it is. It is that fills the church with her immense grief. This it is that she proposes to our consideration. For she knows that if we once rightly understood the sufferings of her Jesus, our attachments to sin must needs be broken. For by sin we make ourselves guilty of the crime we detest in these Jews. But the church knows too, dear ones, how hard is the heart of man and how to make him resolved on a thorough conversion he must be made to fear. For this reason, the church puts before us those awful imprecations which the prophets speaking in Jesus' person pronounce against them that put our Lord to death. These prophetic anathemas were literally fulfilled against the obdurate Jews. They teach us what the Christian also must expect if, as the apostle so forcibly expresses it, we again crucify the Son of God. In listening to what the church now speaks to us, we cannot but tremble as we recall to mind those other words of the same apostle. How much more, think he, doth he deserve worse punishment who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath esteemed the blood of the testament unclean as though it were some vile thing by which he was sanctified and hath offered an affront to the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, and I will repay. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, dear ones, I'm going to stop right here. We just have a little tiny bit to continue, and we'll try to complete it tomorrow. Um, If you have not been faithful in your Lenten resolutions, don't spend time worrying about it. Don't sink into despair, definitely not despair, that's mortal sin or regret. Just pick yourself up, and just like a child... When he falls, he picks himself up and he learns to walk and it pleases the parents very much. Pick yourself up, dear one. Go back to your resolutions or make new ones and the Father will be very pleased with you and give you his grace and enable you to continue it until the end. There's the music for our break, beloved. When we come back, we'll have our half hour together. Our lines are wide open and the toll-free number 
is 1-877-511-5483. This is Franciscan Media Saint of the Day for March 29th. Today we celebrate Blessed Ludovico of Casoria. Christ's love has wounded my heart. Those words from today's saint help explain why he spent so much of his life serving God's people in an amazing number of ways. Born near Naples, he was a cabinet maker before entering the Franciscans in 1832 and taking the name Ludovico. Ordained five years later, he taught younger members of his province until a life-altering mystical experience set him on a new path. After that, neither his charity nor his energy could be contained. Ludovico dedicated his life to the poor and the infirm in a new and deeper way. He established a dispensary for the poor, two schools for African children, and an institute for the children of nobility. He founded an institution for orphans, the deaf and the speechless, and other institutes for the blind and elderly. He began charitable institutes in Naples, Florence, and Assisi. To help continue these works of mercy, he established religious communities of men and of women who formerly belonged to the secular Franciscan order. Ludovico died in 1885, after a nine-year illness, he was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1993. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish. And we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live, and we are um, together for this next half hour. Again, you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart or to email at mother at the station of the cross.com. And I'll just mention again that we're a month away from the springtime appeal of the Station of the Cross. And if you'd like to get a head start and and help the Station of the Cross and every program, including Mother Miriam Live, stay on the air, you're welcome to send in a donation. Ahead of time, you can go to thestationofthecross.com. You can, I know many are talking about the iCatholic Radio app, which is free. You can donate through that. Um, you'll have a mailing, or maybe you've already see, received it from the Station of the Cross. You can return that in an envelope to them in any way that you can be part of this wonderful apostolate in such a time as this. The most needful time, I would say, in the history of the church, because the, the devil is fighting against it. Tooth and nail, 24-7. They say history repeats itself, but I don't think there's ever been a time in history like this uh, where so many uh, have defected from the faith, uh, where so many 
of our shepherds have defected from the faith. Um, it is, it's, it's alarming uh, to many. It is to me. I tell you, I'm not alarmed by that much, but the number of bishops that are defecting from the church, the teaching coming out of the Vatican that is not Catholic is astounding. Uh, the bishops that are agreeing to uh, same, the blessing of same-sex unions and uh, LGBTQ, uh, all of this, I, it, it, it astounds me. It simply astounds me. There's no answer for it, answer for it uh, except that the devil has been released and is working uh, 24-7, as are his disciples. So um, you will never lose by um, donating to the Station of the Cross. Every single penny will be used to get the gospel and the truth, the whole truth of the whole faith out to the whole world and more and more each day as donations increase. So um, let's just say the Station of the Cross needed a million dollars to uh, complete the year, let's just say. And you say, well, I think they got their goal uh, in the middle of last week, so they don't need any more. Not true. Because they need that to keep going with what they have. But if we give them more, then they can expand as they have been expanding, thanks to you. So God bless you. And I come to you, thanks to you. So um, I'm a supporter of the Station of a Cross above every other station that I've any, ever been on. Absolutely wonderful. So we have a YouTube comment from Sophia who says, what is the best way to start delving into scripture? Good, Sophia. Um, number one, get a Catholic Bible so that you have the full Bible. I recommend um, the... Um, the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, not the new Revised Standard Version that has inclusive language. The RSVCE, Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, published by Ignatius. You can even get it online and read it online through Bible Gateway. Um, and so first you need the whole Bible, which is a Catholic Bible. And I would suggest if you've never read Scripture, Start with one of the Gospels. In fact, I'd start with the Gospel of John because of the four Gospels. The Gospel of John speaks of the deity of Christ more than any other Gospel. He shows that Christ is God indeed. And so I would just read it through. It's a story from page one, all to 21 chapters all the way to the end. It's not even, um, uh, not even a... If you put the pages together, it wouldn't even be a quarter of an inch in thickness. So I would read that. And then you might go to, uh, back to the Old Testament and read the whole book of Genesis, which is a, which is a, a story and the whole uh, matter of salvation is in the book of Genesis. The whole, right from creation to uh, our Lord's second coming and to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So... Um, I read a book at a time, and as you read, uh, know that the Bible is God's love letter to us. And he wrote it that we would know who he is and who we are in relationship to him. Keep that in mind as you read. Um, uh, we have a little exercise that I put together years ago, and um, 
our sisters in our community go through that. Um, they uh, read a chapter at a time, and then I have a little exercise that put together on one page, and it has just the first thing is, what is the main point of this chapter? Because I find if I read, my mind wanders, or I fall asleep, or I forget everything I've read, but if I read to find something in the passage... I'm alert, and I'm looking for that thing. So let's just say, um, I'll go back to Genesis 1, because we started the exercise with that. Um, Genesis, if you read the whole chapter and you read nothing else that day, um, Genesis 1 talks about God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and including man and woman. And so what's the main point of Genesis 1? God created all things. And the second question is, what is true of God because he created all things? What not, not, um, not what has he done, but what is true of him because of what he's done. So if he's created the whole world, what is true of God is that, let's just say, for one, he's all-powerful, a characteristic, an attribute of God. He's all-powerful. Second question, <coughs> from that point, from the, the top summary, what's true of man, of us? Well, we didn't do anything in Genesis chapter 1, but we were created. So the reverse, we're not. God is all-powerful and we're not. Question number three, what has that got to do with my life today? Well, if God is all-powerful and I'm not, maybe I can trust him to take care of my, my, my husband who's looking for a job, my children who are sick, whatever it may be. And then you end with a prayer, Lord, thank you for... Um, for being an all-powerful God for whom nothing is impossible. Help me to trust you more today. Protect my family. And that would be the whole day's um, exercise, one chapter a day. And what's good, if you find also, uh, Sophia, a certain spot in your house, whether you're with a family, with children, or if you're by yourself, find a room, a spot where you could hide away and you could be in that place and uh, put a little table there, maybe with a little candle that you light when you read scripture or a holy picture and your, and your Bible and spend 10 minutes a day. That's all you need to do to do that is 10 minutes a day. If you spend 10 minutes every single day, that in time can increase to 15 minutes and then 20 minutes and maybe a half hour. You see? But if you read for an hour or two, two or three times a week, that will not do you as, uh, it will not be as profitable to you as it will if you have a consistent time of 10 minutes. Consistency is the key. And a place set apart, that's the key. And you can build on that. I hope that's helpful, Sophia. We have a, a comment on Facebook from Timoteo who says, what would be a good book to share with someone of Jewish heritage in order to help her understand Catholicism? Well, I would take Roy Shoman's book. Above all, Roy was an Orthodox Jew who became Catholic and absolutely um, 
uh, has not rejected or denied Judaism. On the contrary, he has found the fulfillment of Judaism in the Catholic Church. And so the title of Roy's book is Salvation is from the Jews. That's a quote from our Lord's words to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. That's a good book. And another book that Roy has put together and edited is Honey from the Rock. 16 Jewish people who entered the Catholic Church again, not believing it's the rejection of Judaism, but indeed it's fulfillment. My story's in there, my brother David's story's in there, but so are holy men and women of the past, Alphonse Liguori, no, no, not Alphonse, Alphonse Radisbon and others. We have an email from Dawn who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, I'm toward these days. I taught in a Catholic school for 10 years. I placed my first child in a pre-K where I taught after deciding to stay home. To make a long story short, one of the teachers I worked with became a principal at a Catholic school closer to our home. I also wanted to work there, and she agreed I could. I could get a discount, so I enrolled her there. Upon enrolling her at the closer Catholic school, she had an outburst. She bit me, oh my goodness, through a fit about staying and playing in the K-room and sat on the floor. The principal saw this. She has some existing health issues like constipation and multiple food allergies. Her birth was also rough because she was a cord baby and almost died. The teacher, who is now a principal... I knew will not take her there because of the issues. I have not asked the school I worked for if they will take her, but obviously the principal of the other school knows her pre-K teacher and has already talked with her. I am at a loss. In addition, the tuition is so expensive, I would have to work a public school job to even pay for both my girls to attend if they will not let me teach there, let alone I don't even know if I would land a job anywhere. The public schooling option saddens me for my child. Please pray. What would you do? Sincerely, Dawn. Dawn, I'm, I'm at a loss to understand why you're not homeschooling your little girl. Why would you send her away to the school, especially with the problems she has, behavioral and health problems? Why aren't you keeping her at home and homeschooling her there? I can't answer you further because you haven't addressed that issue, but that's the answer. Stay home and teach her. Do you have a husband that um, uh, earns a living for the family? Uh, Don't get a job. Stay home and pour your life into your child. Um, And Dawn, if you cannot do that, you you need to send another email of of why not. Uh, If you wish, you could do that, but I don't know why you haven't addressed that. Um, We have a call from Julie in Tennessee. Hi, Julie. Hi, Mother Miriam. Hi, sweetheart. How are you doing? Very good. Good. Um, My question for you today is um, really about the topic of finding joy um, at home while homeschooling the kids. I I quit my job and my um, career. I always thought I'd be a career woman. And I quit that two years ago. Um, And when God was telling us that we needed to homeschool our children. And so I quit my job to homeschool the children. And um, 
you know, I think one of the things I struggle with now, I feel as we're growing in holiness um, and we've transformed our our household, really, I feel very um, diabolically attacked, for lack of better terms. And I've said some deliverance prayers and um, I fall into the trap of negative thinking and the lack of joy in motherhood. And so I'm wondering, Mother, if you have any tangible things that I could do to bring the joy into our home each and every day while I homeschool my children. Um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, and so I tend to fall back into some of those bad habits, the negative thinking and um, the dysfunctional thinking, for lack of better terms. So I'm wondering if you have any ideas for me. Um. Yes, I, I hear very faintly, but I hear the music uh, for our break, Julie. Um, what was your career? What kind of work did you do? Um, I was a nurse. I actually have my PhD, and I was most recently a nurse consultant mm-hmm. for a big company. Okay. Okay. Um, in your heart, Julie, you can answer this when we come back from the break, in your heart, if Jesus gave you the choice today of being a nurse um, consultant, uh, using your PhD, or homeschooling your children, how many children do you have? Three. Uh, If Jesus gave you the choice, uh, which one would you choose? We'll be right back. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith, so I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their their fundraising and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, we preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. It's our last segment. We have 10 minutes. Um, we have Julie on the line, and you're still welcome if you wish to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five four eight three. Julie, dear, um, for for those um, who may have just joined us, Julie's on the line, and she is um, she has a PhD in nursing, and she has nursed, and she's was a, she uh, was a nurse consultant. She has three little children, and she has made the decision to homeschool them, and. Um, uh, what did you say, Julie, that where do you, uh, how could you uh, find joy in your life again um, in the midst of ho- the stress of homeschooling and a hectic lifestyle? Is that is that pretty much what you said? Yeah, that's pretty much what I said. Um, yes, I, I, I tend to fall into despair. And um, so, yeah, bringing really joy every day into the okay. home. Very good. Um uh, I asked you before the break if if our Lord stood before you right now and he said, Julie, in the flesh, he said, Julie, what's on your heart? Would you rather go back to nursing and work outside the home or would you rather stay home and homeschool and make the home for your children that you're currently doing? What would be your choice? To stay home with my children and Why? homeschool them. Why? So that I could teach them the faith. Well, they could learn it in other ways, right? They could learn it by your sending them to a Catholic school. Um, they could. I n- not not today. I don't think not in mm-hmm. this day and age. Um, okay. So I'd like my husband and I to lead them to the true faith. I think where I went wrong growing up is I didn't know the true faith. Yeah. There you and go. I'm trying to make up for that now. And your husband is supportive of your teaching them at home, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. How old are your children? Um, f- five, seven, and ten. Okay. Julie, you're leading a heroic life, and you've made the right choice, of course. Um, homeschooling does not need to be stressful. It could be. A, a joy. Um, can you tell me uh, just something why your lifestyle is hectic? I know it's over the air and so you don't want to get into too much detail, but between the stress of homeschooling, which really should not be stressful because if God wants parents, which he does, to homeschool their children, he's not leading them to a life of stress, but of freedom and joy. What makes your lifestyle hectic? Is that a question I can ask you over the air? Sure, yeah. Um, I think maybe my unreasonable expectations of wanting everything to maybe be perfect. You know, I when I was when I was a nurse, I got my validation from my parents based on how I performed. Mm-hmm. And so it was very, you know, I that's why I went to school and then, you know, I got that validation and then when I decided to homeschool. It's a very thankless job. 
Um, and I, I know I, I do love it, but the days are hard. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of school and I think I have unreasonable expectations. I think I do strive for perfection. And so then when the kids maybe act out for lack of better terms, I overreact and I tend to fall into some anger and that's where I think the lack of joy then comes from. Why is homeschooling a thankless job? Um, I'm giving you hard questions, but that's huge. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm asking you is that when we're in the will of God, that is our joy. I would imagine that if I got to homeschool three children that were mine, I'd be in heaven having that role uh, imparting God and his truth to their lives. I don't have physical children, but when I teach my sisters, um, there's nothing thankless about it because my, um, my, uh, my joy, my sense of satisfaction uh, comes from the gift God has given me of knowledge or of, of the faith, whatever I'm teaching, even I study before I teach it, um, the gift of, being, of knowing the faith, of believing it, and being able to impart it especially to those who are listening and learning and all of that. So the thankfulness comes is, is not the thanks of your children, of course. It's, it's the pleasure of God in your fulfilling your vocation. If I live as a head of a religious community, if I live the life I should be living and I teach them... Um, to grow in that life, I can't have a greater fulfillment on earth because I'm doing what God has asked me to do. Um, with many women in a religious order, different skills, different maturity, different education, different interests, different everything, um, if I demand perfection, which I, Julie, admit to you, I'm a perfectionist, but if I demand perfection, um, from myself or from them, I, I have to give up because that will be stress. So of what I learn or what I try to teach, if I, if I try to get feedback from them, every once in a while I'll see that one of them has, is out to lunch, hasn't gotten it at all, has a totally different mindset. Another may have been daydreaming and, and missed the lesson altogether. Now, should I get angry with them? That's my downfall. I need to learn how to engage them and how to um, uh, help them feel that they're on the road to accomplishment. And for you, dear Julie, um, let perfection go. Now, this is not easy. I'm, I, I'm, I, I know this is not easy, but this is to strive for because... When I demanded perfection and everything be in order and everybody get everything, the women left. But now they're saying, because I accept them on the level they're at, they, I want them to accept me as well, 
we're all fallen, we all make mistakes, we all fail, but it only love is what will grow us up into God. Only love. If your children feel your stress in teaching them, they're going to be tremendously hindered. It has to be a time of happiness and joy. If they get one point, that you need to celebrate that. It's beautiful. And as far as the perfection of your house, um, let them all be doing little chores. They're old. Every one of them is old enough to do chores. And the, the, based on their age, one, the 10-year-old can do more than the others, but help them um, learn and grow in every way to do chores. And when someone, they're drying dishes and they put the dish away half wet, don't worry about it. And say, let me, let me teach you how to dry the other side, you know, something. But not, don't criticize, don't get angry, don't stress out. It's easy for me to say, it's not easy for you to do. But you need to know that I believe, Julie, you have the most beautiful, holy, highest vocation in the world. And the pleasure comes from living for God and raising up saints for the kingdom. Don't be perfect. Get used to a messy house because the only thing that matters is the soul of your children and their freedom to love God by feeling your love and acceptance of them. I'm so sorry. There's the end of the program, dearest Julie. God bless you all, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.